there, listeners. Welcome to Horror Movie Club, the show where two dudes who are not quite nerds but not quite noobs choose a horror movie each week to rate and review. I'm Brian, I'm on the phone with Ashvin, and today we are talking about The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, from 2021, directed by Michael Chavez, written by David Leslie Johnson McGoldrick and James Wan, starring Vera Farmiga, Patrick Wilson, Rory O'Connor, and Sarah Catherine Hook. In this film, the Warrens attempt to save a man from the death penalty by proving that he is not guilty by reason of possession. If you're new to the show, we're going to talk about some background info regarding this movie up front for 15 or 20 minutes or so, and then when we take our little fake break and play some interlude music, that's when you know to uh, duck out if you haven't seen this movie yet. Ashwin, how was your second experience back in the theater? Or did you watch this in the theater? Oh, no, I didn't watch this in the theater. You went back? I went back. Wow, good for you. I tried a different theater. Yeah, how did it feel this time? <laughs> Worse. Are you serious? <laughs> it was more crowded. It was. I think it was a bunch of teenagers, like, at school must have just gotten out or something. Uh-huh. And, like, during the opening scene of the movie, somebody walked around the corner flashing their cell phone flashlight right in my eye. Oh, my God. Are you serious? <laughs> it was, yeah, it was just, it was bad. I'm down Where? on theaters in these first two outings. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like it's also tough because you're in a new city and I'm sure you're trying to find like the best theater. Um, I got to find the you... right place. I think there's an Alamo Draft House somewhere around here. I got to find it. Oh, that's awesome. I, I wish we had one of those around here. Th- those are always like great scenes. I don't even think they allow like teenagers in those ones, do they? <laughs> yeah. <if you're laughs> they like read your hormones as you enter and then if they're at a certain <laughs> level, you can't come in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's like the temperature check, but like a different type of device. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no, I mean, I, I think that makes a huge difference. Uh, sorry, it's getting worse. I wonder, I wonder how the next one's going to fare. <laughs> right? Yeah. I'll, I'll keep trying different theaters. All right. All right. That sounds promising. Uh, so, subgenre, I think we've covered the first Conjuring, we covered the second, ramping up for this one. The subgenre tags we keep hitting are Supernatural, Demonic Possession, and Haunted House. Those all hold true for this one, except you got to swap out Haunted House with Thriller, maybe, you think? Yeah, Thriller uh, slash, like, uh, Law and Order SVU. Is that a Thriller? <laughs> yes. Yeah, it almost had, like, some police procedural beats. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a very interesting uh, twist to, or, or turn for this franchise to take. Yeah, it really was. Um, and after we get into the plot and our review, we'll probably go through some of the beats that make it more like a thriller than uh, the other movies in the franchise. But a lot of people are saying this movie feels different than the other two, and mm-hmm. I think that's a really big part of the reason why. It's just, it is. It's structurally different. Um, yeah. One big spoiler-free change is that there are a lot of locations. It's it's not all in one house. It's not all in right. one setting. Yeah, yeah, and that makes a huge difference. That was such like a, a close part of the brand for all the other films. Yeah. It's weird to see them uh, yeah, take a detour from that. Yeah, I agree. But uh, it was, yeah, we'll talk about that or not. There, there's pros and cons to going in a different direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I think, uh, we, and we recently talked about Conjuring 2, and uh, I, I know, like, were we kind of complaining that they were too similar, or did we just feel like it, were, I, I don't know, like, it still seemed to work and everything, but did you feel like it was getting repetitive? I don't think it got repetitive, no. Yeah, me neither. I, I felt like it, they both were pretty valid, but yeah. I think I, you I, expect I, a certain amount of repetitiveness, too, but. Sure. 
It wasn't too yeah. bad in this, from number one to number two. Right, yeah, yeah. And then the whole like director change, too. Like You have uh, two movies by one director, and then suddenly you throw in a different guy. That's yeah, definitely going to so, change the tone. Yeah, Michael Chavez got his start directing a 2015 web series called Chase Champion, but his first feature-length debut was 2019's The Curse of La Llorona, the sixth installment in The Conjuring universe. Right. And Would that one remember? was very tangentially tied to the rest of The Conjuring films. It was... Barely there. I know. I'm still not entirely sure how it ties. Uh, was there some reference in Conjuring One or Two to La Llorona, or was there it like some reference to Annabelle? Oh, okay. and I think a deleted scene referenced the Warrens without stating them by name. I see. Interesting. Yeah, and yeah, there was a priest who who was the same character. Okay. Yeah, pretty loose connections. That's surprising. Yeah. Hey, so yeah. talking. Uh, speaking of beats, though, that like uh, the one and two had familiar, um, and uh, maybe this one too. Marginalized communities. Do, do you feel like uh, you know the main characters in one and two and in this one are always kind of like uh, communities that are kind of on the fringe financially or uh, struggling? I wouldn't call them marginalized communities, but yeah, low-income families, financially maybe, insecure. Maybe they are. <laughs> yeah. Yes, financially insecure families, and we've talked about how that's a useful plot device in a haunted house film because it gives the people a reason to stay in their house. Yeah, less options. Yeah. Not as easy options. to just uh, pack up and go to like an Airbnb, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, and James Wan, in regards to why he chose Michael Chavez for this, he said, while working closely with Chavez on The Curse of La Llorona, I got to know him as a filmmaker. Chavez's ability to bring emotion to a story and his understanding of mood and scares make him a perfect fit to direct the next Conjuring film. And I think in our review, maybe we should go back to that sentence and see if we agree <laughs> with all those statements. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> we'll challenge think... James Wan himself. I know, exactly. <laughs> word for word, we're going to tear him apart. <laughs> um, do you feel like uh, Wan's ever going to come back to directing anything in this universe? I don't know, man. I could see him do the swan song for Ed and Lorraine Warren. It feels like you probably only got one or two movies left before it just gets stale. Oh, yeah, I guess. I, well, I, I don't know. It's it's such like a popcorny franchise. Uh, and what, did you say we're like, uh, this is like the eighth or ninth uh, of the franchise? This is the eighth installment, yeah. Okay. I, don't, I don't see him directing like an offshoot. I think it would have to be a... Uh, film with conjuring in the name like i don't think he's gonna come back for an annabelle annabelle or the nun sequel or anything like that sure like yeah none of the spinoffs i feel like maybe it would be to say goodbye to the warrens okay yeah that'd be pretty cool um but yeah i mean it just seems like he's so focused these days on like aquaman and like the dc universe um which i I don't know who watches those but everybody uh, yeah yeah, that's true oh man do you watch them no i don't i don't but they make okay. a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, big money makers. So, uh, yeah, but, but Conjuring is also a big money maker here. You, you already you, you see the, uh, the 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 performance of this. Yeah, it, on a budget of thirty nine million, it's already at one hundred and twelve million. So impressive. That's not bad. It's almost tripled its budget, which is kind of the guideline they give for what makes a movie profitable at the box office that's kind of fast and loose it depends on the marketing budget but 
that's pretty good for COVID times, I would think. Yeah, yeah. I, and it's interesting because uh, I think that's in theaters with A Quiet Place 2, and I don't think it's tracking, though, to A Quiet Place 2. But yeah, I imagine that's also because you've got this on HBO, which I'm sure is cutting into the box office. Right, that's a pretty good return considering that as well, like you said. Parallel release on HBO. It was released the exact same day, I'm pretty sure. Right, right. Uh, yeah, that was streamed in a hundred or 1.6 million American households over its first three days of release on HBO Max. Wow, that's awesome. That would be, I don't know, another 25 million in the box office or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a sizable population. Rotten Tomatoes has the lowest critic score of any Conjuring, not Conjuring Universe film, but Conjuring titled film at 57% mm. critics, 84% okay. users. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. The lowest of the fran- the universe, Annabelle, The Curse of La Llorona, and The Nun were all in the twenties on the critic scores in Rotten Tomatoes. Oh wow! Yeah, The Nun. That was that was a shit show, wasn't it? <laughs> I actually didn't think it was that bad. Oh, but it really? wasn't good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. None of those were uh, great. Yeah, none of them were great. I I thought uh, before this film came out, there would be the other movie that was kind of set up in Conjuring 2. Was it that dude who's like really skinny? The Crooked tall? Man? The Crooked Man. <laughs> yeah, w- w- isn't there like an offshoot coming on him? That's still in development as well as a Nun sequel. Hmm, okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Conjuring films for like another five, ten years. Uh, it just seems like a strong franchise. They're laying all these roots down. They're going in different directions. And it's bringing in good revenue. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. You, you're thinking maybe it's only got, like, another film or two left under this name? I don't know why I'm thinking that. Part of me was like, well, Ed and Lorraine, or Ed and Lorraine, Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga aren't getting any younger, but at the same time, that's not fair. <laughs> and they're not that old, and most mm-hmm. of the footage and photos we have of the Warrens is when they're kind of older anyway. They kind of work as an aging couple. Yeah, right. As we they, see in this you? one. Yeah, and, and so far the trend has been like Conjuring 1 was at like 60s, 2 was 70s, this one's 80s, so they're going like decade by decade. Is that right? right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, so it's not out of character for them to get older. Yeah, yeah, right, they pull that off. Um, I, and I think I was looking at uh, them in real life, and uh, um, the, yeah, I, I think the, the wife uh, actually passed away like only a year or two ago, right? Yeah, I think she was alive until up until recently, and I can't remember when Ed passed away, but it was, I don't know, a decade or two ago or something? Okay, okay. Hmm. Yeah, you might be right then. Maybe they got a 90s movie and then an early 2000s movie. Who knows? And James Wan has said, like, there's no shortage of potential for movies because they have so many stories. Yeah. <laughs> Whether they are <laughs> they true or not. I know. Did you look into the backstory on this one? Yeah, so this one is based on the trial of Arnie Cheyenne Johnson, and this was the first U.S. court case where the defense claimed that the defendant was not guilty due to possession. Mm. Yep. Um, and I'd, I I want to read the entire case, but it's a little spoiler-heavy to do before our uh, musical transition, but I mm-hmm. guess not really. There was a... It just spoils the very beginning of the movie. If you don't want to hear that, you can bump up a little bit. Um but there was a family with a possessed little boy and Arnie asked, like taunted the demon and it fled the boy and entered Arnie and then he murdered somebody. And uh, yeah, the, the defense attorney claimed he was possessed by a demon. 
and the mm. Warrens were involved with this case. Does that surprise you at all that until like the 80s, no one had ever tried to make that claim in court? I, It does surprise me, frankly. Um, yes and I'm no. Like, the 80s was big on the whole satanic panic thing, so it was kind of striking while the iron is hot and hitting that trend like sure if everyone's afraid of satan then i'll, I'll say this was demonic possession it mm, had happened right, in right. in england before i believe i see yeah but wasn't demonic possession a crime like back in the salem with jewish trials and stuff like was that something uh, you would go to jail for <laughs> yeah it was something you'd probably be stoned or drowned for yeah yeah and then here in the 80s it's being used as a defense for the yeah. first time right very interesting um, and the uh, brother of the possessed child would go on to say that the story was a hoax concocted by the Warrens to exploit the family and his brother's mental illness. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. as But then you also got the guy, Arnie Cheyenne Johnson, said that the Warrens told everything like it was. So, so who knows? Yeah. I know, I know. Uh, I've, I've got some personal opinions, and I, I, you know, I, I kind of feel like the, the Warrens were uh, out there, kind of like uh, showmans uh, or just entertainers trying to cause media and uh, get these book these like lectures and books and all this stuff. Um, what, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, there's enough of their cases that have been proved to be false that it's to me, it's pretty clear that they were. I don't know. I feel bad saying that because I feel like I know them just from all these Conjuring movies, but. <laughs> It does seem like they were just hoaxes. Yeah. Were they actually affiliated with the church? Like, uh, do they have the power of the, the, the church behind them, like, as, as they do so much in these movies? I don't think they truly did. Okay. Yeah. That part seems a little off. But I'm not I'm not up to speed on that. I forget my research on that, so I don't take that with a grain of salt. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Same. Um, anything else before we move on to our Ohio connection? Um, did you recognize the little kid in this one with the big glasses? I didn't. He reminded uh, me of the Jerry Maguire kid, but what was he in? Oh, uh, he was in a WandaVision. Did you see that show? Oh, I didn't see it. Um, he was in The Haunting of Hill House. Did you see that show? Oh, I did see that. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I recognize him now. Yeah, I think he played uh, one, of, one of them as a young youngster. I've only uh, seen the but... first four or five episodes of that. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool, cool to see him. I, I, I just like, I like when they give these like little kids big glasses. I, I think in Veronica that, that, that was used, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Man, Veronica was a good movie. No one really talks about that much. I know. I know. That was a great one. I'd, I'd love to go back and check that out again sometime. Yeah. Um, uh, no, no, no other uh, things on mine. Well, I, I guess what, what is your favorite Conjuring movie uh, between one and two, I guess? The first one, I think. Mm, okay. I think, I think the scares are the best in the first one. I think I gave them both equal scores, but the first one has the best scares to me. Oh, okay. I they, think the they're same. They're all but... kind of flawed, but yeah. fun. <laughs> yeah, they're they're fun, flawed, fun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I agree, uh, but I replaced the first one with the second one. I feel like that one had the better scares and uh, better family dynamics too. I think you really related to the old man. Oh yeah, the whole dude on the couch <laughs> that just <laughs> doesn't like these kids all up in his house. <laughs> exactly. Just wants to watch TV. Yeah. All right. Well, every episode we have our friend Alex connect each movie to our home state of Ohio for us. Alex owns the Jukebox Bar and Restaurant in Cleveland, Ohio. Go hang out on their patio or get some of their food on Uber Eats or pop in for some retail drinks. 
Um, Alex says, The Conjuring the Devil Made Me Do It is a supernatural horror sequel from The Conjuring Universe. This is the eighth film in the series and chronicles paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren, this time as they track a demon possessing the bodies of an eight-year-old boy and a family friend who brutally murders his landlord, claiming to be under the direction of said demon. Similarly, in December 2018, 20-year-old Wesley Slaughter, oh, what a name, set fire to the historic Canetta Hotel in downtown Wapakoneta, claiming that the devil made him do it, destroying the hotel and displacing over two dozen people who called the hotel home. At the time of his arrest, Slaughter claimed to be possessed by demon Boheven and would soon be going to the gates of hell. He was sentenced in May 2019 to over 19 years in prison for the arson and ongoing psychiatric evaluation. Wapakoneta is a small community located 50 miles north of Dayton in O'Glaze County, Ohio. Awesome. Wow. Pretty. Uh, sorry, what, what year was that again? That that trial happened? 2019. Oh, okay, okay. So this, this logic still holds up in court? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Well, he went to jail for 19 years, so maybe not. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know that I, that was his defense in court, but that was what he proclaimed at his arrest. Mm, okay. Or okay. What Alex I mean, it, has written here. Yeah, it just it seems like a good thing to like throw in. Like if you're ever in courts, you know, maybe like a traffic ticket or something. Uh, it seems like it doesn't hurt you to throw in the fact that you might be possessed. Because uh, I know like this guy was up for the death penalty, and I, yeah, I, did, I don't want to ruin anything, but this this it seems like there's some benefits. Yeah, give it a whirl. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay, well. Listeners, we're about to move on and do the plot walkthrough where we will be spoiling everything and then we'll review the movie. Um, but, buddy, I just realized my computer is running pretty low on battery. Do you mind if I switch to my iPad real quick? Oh, sure. All right, cool. I left it in the other room. I'm just going to go get it, get it set up, and then I'll call you right back. Okay. I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. Okay, uh, I'm back, man. Hey, you got it? Yeah, but, uh, you know, I was researching the occult for this episode, and when I went to get the iPad, I noticed that my kid was scrolling through and looking at all this occult imagery, and he seemed really fascinated by it all. <laughs> oh, no. You think I, uh, they're gonna do, your kid's going to do something with it? I, I think it's going to be fine. Hopefully, it won't come back to bite me in 50 years. Yeah. You know what they say about kids? They're not very impressionable. <laughs> Is that what they say? <laughs> that is what they say. Yeah. The opposite of a sponge. <laughs> <laughs> well, what is the opposite of a sponge? I don't know, like cement or something? Just something that squirts. <laughs> Just puts stuff out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Or maybe oozing would be the better term there. Anyway, <laughs> this film opens... With a chaotic exorcism scene, the Warrens are assisting with an exorcism performed by a priest on an eight-year-old boy in his home, and he's going bonkers and cracking his bones and bending his body in weird ways, growling and such. And during the exorcism, uh, the little boy, David, his older sister, Debbie, her boyfriend, Arnie, tells the spirit to leave the boy alone and take him instead. And it does that. It, It... goes from the boy into Arnie. The only person who sees this happen is Ed Warren, who is laying on the floor having a heart attack because the demon p- 
pinned him to the floor and stopped his heart. Uh, Ashvin, what are your feelings about this opening scene? You know, I, I thought the pacing was a little uneven. Uh, you know, I, I, all of these movies like start off with usually like a pretty decent hook, but this one, uh, I just feel like the the dialogue was a little here or there, and then uh, the the kid in the bathtub is is scared, and that you get like a minor attack scene there. Uh, but once the exorcism gets going, and his body's like kind of uh, you know distorting and stuff, and it, the, the way he's moving and cracking, uh, I thought were pretty cool. But then it kind of like fizzles out at the end with Ed just kind of having that heart attack and uh, the demon just kind of jumping bodies. So I'd, I felt like it it kind of like peaked, uh, like had a small peak, but it was just like very scattered in terms of like the, the flow of it. What, what did you think? Way to ruin it with your stupid heart attack, Ed. <laughs> I know. Out of all the times to have one, you're going <laughs> to blow the opening of this movie. <laughs> uh, I agree with you, man. I thought the pacing, this, this scene was too chaotic and mm-hmm. lacked any real scariness for me. Yeah. It was kind of just intenseness for intenseness sake, and it was largely kind of just manufactured intensity through visual edits and audio stings, which I know that's filmmaking, but they're, the drama of the scene, I didn't really feel it. Yeah, like the actual action happening on scene wasn't like a, like that amazing, right? Yeah, yeah, and the cuts were really manic. Yeah, they were, they were. There's, um, th- there's uh, a strange scene where like the priest pulls outside the house and he's just like staring at the house and that, I don't think that had any relevance. Oh, I've got a vague memory of that. Yeah, there's just some really like random uh, scenes there, and I, I think it's like to your point about the cuts. They're just uh, some strange things done here. Okay, yeah, it felt kind of slapdash together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are you down with this uh, bone cracking contortionism? It feels like we've seen it so much lately. Oh, have have we seen it like in an, in the context of an exorcism? Oh. I'm sure it's been done in the context of an exorcism. I'm trying to think. I mean, Reagan is the the OG body moving in ways it shouldn't during yeah. a, an exorcism. That's true. That's true. I, I, I guess like the, the noise effects uh, kind of took me by surprise here. I thought it worked so well in anything for Jackson because they got an actor who could actually do those things. Oh, yeah. So I feel like yeah. I've hit the pinnacle of that kind of stuff and now I'm over it. <laughs> yeah. You've seen as good as it gets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe. We also get a bit of development in the scene that Arnie and the boy David have a good relationship. Yeah, and Arnie apparently is like in love with uh, his sister, and and uh, he's like, "When are you going to marry my sister?" That, which I thought was a, again like a really strange dialogue piece for this opening. Yeah, it felt a little like checking boxes real quick, throwing you all the pieces you need, and yeah, trying to give you some emotional attachment if they could. Exactly. I'm glad they gave it a shot. <laughs> it all felt a little rushed. It did. It did. Um, so after this hook, uh, the movie f- starts to follow Arnie for a little bit. Uh, we're endeared to his relationship with his girlfriend, Debbie. Uh, but we see strange things start to happen to him. He's got a hallucination happening here or there that ultimately ends up with him hallucinating that Debbie's manager at the dog kennel she works at is a monster or demon trying to kill him. And Arnie, in self-defense against what he thinks is a demon, stabs this dude 22 times. Um, and you know what they do here, Ash? We, I don't know if you remember, we talked about it in both the first Conjuring movies. 
they each have a tracking shot through the house that's going to be the setting for the film that kind of introduces some of the characters and gets you familiarized with the space. Oh, mm-hmm. They do that again here, but they're familiarizing you with a dog kennel that is never <laughs> gone back to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I forget that. So, so they're, they're following one of the characters and you can kind of see their point of view? Yeah, I think they follow Arnie and Debbie walking through the dog kennel. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, that's so random because you're, you're right. Like, well, This is like the only dog kennel scene. Yeah, and they don't really... I mean, there is a, a scare here, but it's not really like... I, I, we talked about in the other ones how it helped you get a spatial relationship with the movie and helped with some of the effectiveness of the scares and the camera work later in here. I guess mm-hmm. they just did it because they did it in the other ones. Right. Yeah, exactly. That makes sense. And uh, yeah, it, it, it didn't work to the effects that it did in the other ones, right? I don't think so. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think the cops were already on their way here because I believe we've been cross-cutting to Ed who wakes up in the hospital from his heart attack and warns Lorraine that Arnie is possessed now and she calls the cops and warns them that something bad is going to happen. Before this, we also got a flashback of Ed and Lorraine on their first date as Lorraine's talking to somebody in the hospital room about how much she cares about Ed. Uh, I think... Go ahead. Oh, this was also like so cheesy and forced. Like the the guy just came to tell Lorraine that she could go home, and she's like, "Have I ever told you how uh, this guy and I met?" Uh, did, didn't that seem kind of like out of nowhere? Yeah, yeah, yes and no. It, I could see it being forced, but she's laying by his side in the hospital bed, and she's worried about him. I get it. Okay. I thought the main reason they were doing that was to draw parallels between Ed and Lorraine as young lovers and our main characters Arnie and Debbie. Mm. Yeah, I but think they, they never. To... They don't really hit that very hard. It's it's more a way to add depth and Lorraine, depth to Ed and Lorraine. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, to me, it felt like a bit of a missed opportunity that they didn't. If they were going to show this flashback, and I think they show it one or two or three times even, that they didn't better tie it to Arnie and Debbie's relationship. I thought there were hints of it throughout, like very subtle, uh, like comparisons being drawn. But yeah, you're right. It, it wasn't very clear if they actually were or not. Yeah, agreed. And they just didn't give Arnie and Debbie that much attention throughout the film. Right. Yep. Um, so yeah, this is a murder that shocks the town. It's the first murder this town has had. And that's true, actually. When that real case happened, it was the first murder that town had ever experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Warrens convinced the defense attorney that she should argue that he is innocent because he was possessed. <laughs> And Ashwin, what did you think about how this scene went down when she was like, I don't know about that. And Ed's like, well, tell you what, why don't you come over to our house for dinner, show you around, introduce you to Annabelle. Oh my God. (laughs) And then they just don't show that scene and they cut back to the courtroom and the lawyer's looking a bit frazzled. That was ridiculous, wasn't it? (laughs) How cheap of a move was that? That was a pretty cheap, not only was it a cheap move, but... I thought this was an example of how the director does not necessarily know how to land the humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the Conjuring movies have had a little bit of humor, and this one does too. This should have been a funnier moment, but he didn't hang on the lawyer for that long. Like, yeah, we just cut back to the courtroom, and she's a bit like got this expression like, "What the fuck just happened last night at dinner?" Yeah, right. But I would guess a good chunk of the audience may not have even caught that. 
I know. It wasn't like 100% clear that like she had gone and like she had seen something and now she's back in this courtroom. The the continuity uh, wasn't there. Uh, right. It was like London. a scene was missing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I wonder if a scene was missing because that, that would have been a great scene. Like what happened when, like what, what, what would he have done? Taken her to show her a doll at home and, and that would have like changed her mind about this? <laughs> Is that a- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could have actually been an awesome scene, right? They they could have had something really freaky happen to her at the Warrens' house. Yeah, and th- that would have convinced her that, oh, things can be demonically possessed. Right, right. But I, I can see where, where they were going. No, the better option is just to use this for comedic effect and show how frazzled she is after this dinner that we yeah. you know, can assume happened. But this is a popcorn movie. I, I'm sorry, I've been using that term so much lately. But like, give us that moment. Give the audience a moment to like suck that in and laugh yeah. a little bit at her expression. They just like hit it real quick and then it's done. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. That was, that was clunky. Poorly. It done. was, it was very clunky. Uh, so see, I, I agree they could have landed that better, but I also, I, I still wonder like the, these guys, the Warrens aren't ones to like, um, uh, you know, showboats on, uh, the artifacts that they keep in their house. Like the, I, I just don't understand like what they would have done, like accomplished by having her home, like showing her pictures or something. So I, I just feel like that was also very out of character for them to even like come, come at it like that way. Maybe Ed like was like, I gotta go get something in the kitchen. I'll be right back. And came back with a sheet over himself. <laughs> <laughs> Do you believe in ghosts now? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that would do it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so this lawyer stands up and says, you know, not guilty uh, due to possession, demonic possession. And this kicks off a journey. Ed and Lorraine now begin a mission to prove that Arnie was possessed. Why is why this is their sole responsibility? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but. they... They lay it on pretty thick, like the fate of this boy's hands uh, rely on, or, or, or on your guys' hands. Yeah. 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 The Warrens just insert themselves into situations because they hate their daughter and don't want to go home. I know. And again, you get like that one scene of their daughter, like as a side character <laughs> uh, at the hospital or something. But uh, it's so weird because, yeah, then the rest of the movie, she's gone. For the next uh, Conjuring film, if they make another one of these, as a nod to fans, they should just put a cardboard cutout in the room with them that looks like their daughter. I know. <laughs> See who notices. Yeah, seriously. That, that's that's such a random move uh, to have her in there. And, and they, they're so consistent about it, too. Like, there's going to be one scene, we're going to you're gonna briefly realize they have a daughter, and that's about it. Yep, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so Arnie's going to get the death penalty if, if they can't prove this. So those are the stakes. They don't feel that high to me because they don't do a great job developing Arnie and Debbie, in my opinion. I agree 100%. Uh, they, they uh, you know, uh, yeah, I, I guess a part of me is like, wait, this guy did murder someone. Like, why are we sympathizing with him? Uh, but yeah, then also, I, I think the other ones, you had more time with the families before stuff starts happening to them. And this one, they're asking you to, like, sympathize with someone who you saw just kill someone. Yeah, so that has been... That was a complaint uh, with our first one. Like, okay, we're focusing on two families and it's just too much. Um, They did it a little better in the second one by tying the families together a bit because the little girl, had her father had gone and she looked at Ed a bit as a father figure. But, yeah, they, they didn't do a good job of it here. It was... You 
typically it's something I would applaud. Like, okay, they're focusing more on the Warrens. We have clear main characters. We don't have to toggle between the two. Um, But for the whole first half of the movie, maybe even the first two thirds, the stakes are Arnie. So it loses some of the urgency. You're not as invested in the story. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a big downfall here. Yeah. Yeah, like in the second one, we knew right away that Ed was in danger. Um, So that was a constant threat through the whole movie. Yeah. In this one, uh, he's kind of in danger, right? I mean, he starts off with a heart attack and then he's kind of limping the whole time and out of breath. And so, I don't know, did a part of you kind of feel like, oh, we could lose Ed at any time? Um, no, just because I, that just, it maybe it should have been, maybe that was the intention, but I know that Ed doesn't have a heart attack and die. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I know. Yeah, his life didn't really feel too much at risk this time. Yeah. Um, anyway, so they, they go through all these steps. It's, it's kind of like a police procedural or a thriller. They track down an ex-priest, Father Kastner, who helps them figure out that this demon did not possess the boy on its own. The boy was cursed by a practitioner of the occult. Um, and they find a witch's totem under the house where the, in the location where the boy was first possessed, uh, underneath the waterbed. <laughs> that waterbed was uh, kind of hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. Um... The, the witch's totem leads them to another case where a similar witch's totem was found in a nearby town um, where one girl is stabbed dead and the other girl has gone missing. And through Lorraine's vision, she sees the details of what happened. Uh, a girl becomes possessed, murders her friend, and then commits suicide by jumping off of a cliff. And this vision gives the police enough quote-unquote evidence to search for the girl in the water under the cliff and they find her there below uh and lorraine's i think one people's complaint that i've seen about the discord i didn't read all the spoiler blocks because i hadn't seen the movie yet was that lorraine's powers are way stronger in this movie than they have been in the past yeah yeah and she's kind of like showing them off too yeah she's almost just like omniscient (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know, uh, which I, I don't recall that from, I, I know like in the, in other movies, like she can sense that something's happened, but in this one, it's like she can touch something and like suddenly she's in the character's position, which, uh, that, that's like this whole new level of power that right. is brand new. Yeah. She leveled up. Yeah. What, what is she like an X-Men now or something? <laughs> weird. Uh, so yeah, like you said, when she touches people, she can see even more. So they break into the morgue where this girl's body is that's been found in the water so that Lorraine can touch her body and try to have a vision. When she does that, it becomes clear that the occultist's goal, it like kind of connects her to the occultist somehow. And she sees that the occultist's goal is to make these demons kill their hosts via suicide as three human sacrifices. Hmm. Uh, this one girl who jumped off the cliff, Arnie, and they'll have to be a third um, this makes them realize that Arnie should be put on 24-hour suicide watch. We, they call the jail, and we see Arnie trying to kill himself, and now he's under supervision. Um, and while they're in the morgue, the Lorraine realizes she has a mental connection between this occultist, but it goes both ways. So now the occultist knows who they are and where they are. Right. And for some reason, this really large 
dead guy in the morgue <laughs> comes to life <laughs> and starts charging at them. Was was he a large dead guy, or was he someone who'd been like bloated from the water? I I couldn't tell. Like, was this character the same one that was hiding out in the waterbed? No, I don't think so. I think that's the demon itself in the waterbed. Ah, uh, okay, okay. This I think was just a body that the demon reanimated to try to get at the warrants. Luckily, Ed removes Lorraine's hand from the body just in time to break the connection, and the big dead guy falls down hard. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he had a little bit of bloating from the water, and maybe he had a little bit of bloating from his day-to-day life when he was alive. Sure. A little bit of both. (laughs) Uh, We've all been there. Now that the occultist knows who they are, she curses Ed with a totem. She sends it to his house in a vase of flowers or something. Um, So that's now he's going to be the third one. And he has a vision that Lorraine is a monster. I think he envisions her as the fat guy from the morgue, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, this guy comes back. Uh, <laughs> I, I laughed I, out loud. I think most of the theater laughed out loud when Ed like opens a door and the guy's there again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I, I thought what they were doing here is like trying to set it up as like the crooked man type thing again where this they're trying to make this guy like the recurring character that they might build a spin off of. But this this guy wasn't that scary, right? No, he was entertaining, but not scary. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um Somewhere along the way here, they learn that in order to break the curse... Oh, their assistant, like, stops Ed right before he kills... He's about to kill uh, Lorraine. And somewhere along the way, they learn that in order to break the curse, they have to destroy the occultist's altar. Um, they go back to Father Kastner, the first person they contacted in at the beginning of their search for information on this. He's an expert in this on this cult called the Disciples of the Ram. Um, because they learn partially through Lorraine's visions and through some map reading that the altar might be somewhere near his house, near Father Kastner's house. So they go there and they learn from him that he had a daughter that he hid because it was against the church's celibacy rules. Uh, that daughter became fascinated by his research in the occult and became a Satanist. And it was her that did all this. So that's the big reveal. <laughs> yeah did that feel like a big shocker to you i actually liked that reveal yeah yeah i didn't see it coming i for a long time i thought it was going to be arnie's uh, girlfriend that she was behind it but because like it, it affected uh her brother and then uh then arnie um but then yeah that the, it had me on my toes kind of guessing who it was yeah yeah it was a bit of a whodunit yeah <laughs> Um, so his daughter emerges from the shadows and slits his throat. Um, and they're now the Warrens in an all out battle with her in the crypts slash tunnels under father Kastner's house. Um, and she's trying to complete these three sacrifices. Ed and Arnie are the second and the third, and it's kind of happening at the same time. So we're cutting back and forth between Arnie, who's getting, more and more under the influence of the demon, he's levitating in his uh, jail cell and has a sharp blade or a sharp like chunk of glass that he's going to slit his throat with. Um, and Debbie's there trying to stop him. We're toggling back and forth between that scene and Lorraine, who's found the altar, but Ed is now full-on possessed and is trying to kill her. 
Mm-hmm. And she reminds Ed of their love and says something about how the occultist thinks of their love as a weakness, but really it's their strength. And this is a big, dramatic, Warren moment, and it breaks the spell. He's back to normal, finds a sledgehammer, and breaks the altar. So we're cutting, meanwhile, to Arnie about to kill himself. Debbie grabs his hand before he can slit his throat, but uh, she's starting to lose it. She can't hold him back much longer. But that that altar destruction saves him, and he returns to normal. Mm-hmm. And then the demon takes the occultist's soul because it needed a soul and her spell failed. So he comes out looking like her and just kind of snaps her body in all sorts of weird directions and zoop. I guess that he has her soul now. Yep. (laughs) Just sucked it in. (laughs) Uh, What did you think of all this? Oh man, I thought it was a lot of nonsense. Like, uh, how come... (laughs) It's, it was just so cheesy that like uh, Ed like uh, he's able to snap out of the spell because he's reminded of their love or something. I mean, what is this like a Disney movie or something? That's that didn't didn't work in the beginning scene with the exorcism. Like, why why is it working now? Uh, so that was that was kind of lame. And then uh, the other part. Um, oh, for, the other thing is I I, I couldn't understand why uh, these three needed to die if, they, if it, all they need to do was kill themselves why are they wasting them t- their time like killing other people why not just possess them have them kill themselves and that's the end of the story that was something that I wondered as well uh, <laughs> yeah it, that doesn't really make much sense you could defend the Ed one in that uh, Lorraine was trying to destroy the altar so her primary goal with Ed was to keep Lorraine from destroying the altar mm-hmm. um Got it. And then and then she was going to have Ed kill himself? Yeah, yep. Once he had gotten Lorraine out of the way. But with Arnie, there's no reason he had to kill the... Uh, Bruno. Although, I guess he killed that dude just out of his own paranoia. Yeah, yeah. But, but he stabbed him 22 times, which is the same as the other uh, girl in the woods, right? Right. She stabbed her friend 22 times, so that would imply some sort of demonic control during the murder. Right. Yeah, like there's some pattern where like they have to stab someone 22 times and then kill themselves, I guess. I, it's just, I didn't understand uh, the sacrifices rule. Yeah, yeah, there were some complex rules behind the scenes that we as the viewer weren't in on. Yeah. What, what was your take of, right, what, what was your take of like the whole uh, underground battle in, in these scenes? I actually liked it. I thought it was a pretty cool climax. Um and I liked the tension escalating that we're about to lose Arnie at the same time that Ed is gone bonkers. And even though that is corny, she reminds him of their love and how it's their strength. That's not an uncommon trope in a movie to be like, I know some part of you is still in there and they (laughs) say something that sparks their humanity and breaks the spell. Yeah. That's such a trope though. But yeah, (laughs) it is. It is. Yeah. Uh, and then, well, like, I mean, uh, Arnie's exorcism that they're trying to do versus the one at the opening, um, you don't feel like that got, like, a, a little repetitive? Um, to have two exorcisms in one movie? Yeah, and, like, using a lot of those similar effects, like, lights are flashing, like, wind is blowing, people's hair is blowing back, right, someone's bones levitating. cracking. Yeah, bones are cracking, shapes are happening. I saw that more as, like, the escalation of tension as we neared the climax. I didn't think any... I thought very few scenes in this movie were scary. Yeah, that's true. So I thought that checked the boxes to get us where we needed to be at the climax. Um, 
but it didn't didn't scare me or or I didn't find it particularly moving. It just mm-hmm. worked. Right. Okay. Um, the cup from the altar, which I guess is important, is returned to their demonic room near the Valak painting and Annabelle. Oh, that's what they take back, huh? Yep. And okay. then we end in the courtroom with Arnie standing about to hear his sentence and Lorraine gives him a faint smile before he hears his sentencing. They cut away before the audience hears the sentence, but we learn via text on the screen that it was only five years as opposed to the death sentence. Um, yeah. Actually, I think but, it was like 15 to 20 years in real life, but he only ended up serving five. And we, But we also learn from the text on the screen that Arnie and Debbie got married and remain right. so to this day. And I think Lorraine's faint smile to Arnie was because she knew what the sentence was going to be because she's Jean Grey now. <laughs> she's flexing that power. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh, and then, and then uh, that's interesting because, uh, yeah, it says those two are going to get married. And then don't we end on a scene of Ed and Lorraine like walking up to like a wedding chapel or something? I think he built a gazebo in their yard or bought one that looked like the gazebo that they hid from the rain under when they were teenagers on their first date and had a romantic oh, kiss. That's what that was. Okay. I thought it was like, he wanted to like renew the vows or something. <laughs> All right. That's just the gazebo. Yeah. Mm. Okay. <laughs> that's probably what Lorraine was thinking too. Yeah. <laughs> just a gazebo, huh? Yeah. That's, this is what you've been doing this whole time. <laughs> uh, what did you think of this movie? Uh, yeah, I, I think you kind of said it like it, it wasn't very scary. And that's like my favorite part about the Conjuring films is you kind of know what you, to expect. They're great popcorn films. You got like scary things coming out of the dark usually. And this didn't have that. You've got like a family that you're kind of feeling really scared of for and, and want to see them get out. And this one, I, I really couldn't care for any of the characters. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I didn't really understand the plight of the, uh, the, the woman uh, who was putting the curse on them and like why she needed the three sacrifices um, that, that didn't make it add up uh, so yeah so, so some of the plot I feel like just didn't work and it felt more like a episode of like uh, Law and Order SVU of like uh, these guys trying to crack down a case so I, I don't know it was, it was entertaining but like not scary what, what did you think? I agree with that last point I thought it was a bit too convoluted and too complex for a Conjuring movie Mm-hmm. And it gets lost in the investigative aspects and forgets to be scary. And it forgets yeah. also to be like dramatic, charming, or funny for the most part, right? Because <laughs> yeah. love or hate the Warrens, there's a certain charm and humor to them. Yeah, uh, usually. It, it can be very hokey. I think we mm-hmm. all have a bit of a love-hate relationship with the Warrens. but uh, And they had that here, but a lot of the moments didn't really land, which... I think it's due to poor direction. I think Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga are still playing these roles really well. What did you think of the acting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. They both are pretty accomplished actors, and I think they did the best they could. And yeah, you could sense like the idea that they were aging in this one. Like they did definitely look older than they looked in the previous ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that the direction around the scares and the action was decent though um it's just that there weren't that many scares there um yeah i don't know or if they were i don't know maybe the direction around them wasn't good they just it was seemed as even the way the scares were written they weren't that complex 
No, they weren't. Uh, it wasn't like, uh, you know, this whole... I think the haunted house aspect really benefits the scares. You know, it's it's not yeah. like, where's this thing going to be or what's going to happen in this room or something's up. There's not right. a whole lot of lead up into the scares. Exactly. Yeah. And I, thought, I think that's what like, Conjuring did really well is uh, even before the scare happens, it builds that atmosphere of tenseness so much that like when it hits, you're just like on your edge already. And I, I don't think this one did that at all. Yeah. Yeah. It also... Every other movie had a bit of a namesake ghoul, like mm-hmm. Valak the Nun from The Conjuring 2, Bathsheba from the first one. You could even say The Crooked Man from The Conjuring 2. Right. Like you said, it seems like maybe that's what they were trying to do with this big naked man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it doesn't have a, uh, it doesn't have that baddie that you can't forget, you know? Yeah, right. Um, well, also, your your villain here isn't like someone like like a demon, right? It's it's just this person who's uh, casting curses, right? And that is why that is one of the bullet points under supporting evidence of why this is a thriller, uh, like a human <laughs> with a plan is the bad guy in a thriller. Yep. So <laughs> that's that's a good point. Yeah, that's exactly it. Um, uh, did, did did you think like that reduced like because we got some dialogue between uh, the, the 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 woman who was putting the curses on them and uh, Lorraine and and Ed uh, did did you think like that kind of took away from the scariness a bit so I kind of humanize that person and give them lines of dialogue? I thought it was interesting. I don't. She wasn't. Hmm. You know what? I actually liked her as a villain. I don't like yeah. a Conjuring movie as a thriller as much as I like a Conjuring movie as a haunted house. But as far as thriller villains go, I thought she was decent. Yeah, she's not I, very I developed or anything. But exactly, uh, yeah. yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah, I, I think that a really good start with her. And if they had like developed her out, maybe given her a few more lines, had more of like a, a power play between her and and Lorraine, like that would have been pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, it, it could have been better. Like another hallmark of a thriller is good guys that are on the trail of the bad guy, but always a few steps behind. Right. Yep. And you, you learn how the villain is doing things, but you don't learn that much about why. Whereas in other thrillers, you might start to learn about why, and they can become a compelling bad guy because uh, my favorite bad guys are when they have a motivation and you're like, Oh shit, I can kind of understand the motivation. (laughs) (laughs) They make it some good points here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like I, I don't I don't remember her having the uh, quintessential villain speech like that which is a trope and can often be silly and frustrating but I think can work as well mm-hmm. yeah yeah you're right it can, it can work but I, um, I, I think for these conjuring movies I, I, I do like the more supernatural type villains yeah yeah agreed uh, I'm gonna go keep going a little bit with some thriller points okay <laughs> Let's hear it. Uh, have you heard of the term a MacGuffin Nope. So it's like typically thought of as an object in a thriller movie, typically a thriller that the villains are after. Okay. Like a briefcase with money or a gem or something, some something that's integral to the plot. Yeah. Um, but I I read there's this guy Yavez Lavandier, a French filmmaker, and he argues in his book constructing a story that it can also be any secret that motivates the villain. So I think in this case, the occultist goal to create three sacrifices would be considered the MacGuffin of a thriller movie. Yeah, yeah, totally. They had like a clear objective. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. I, I was clearly researching what, what makes up a thriller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, something else I found on industrialscripts.com was a quote that says, a large percentage of the time, the big evil acts from the shadows in a thriller. Hmm. And that's definitely okay. what was happening here. Yeah, you have like a, a demon behind her somewhere, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sense. I mean, they're following the the occultist, but they don't, you never see the occultist or even know who she is. Like she's acting from the shadows in terms of, the film and the experience for the audience. Oh, sure. Yep. Uh, I think that's that's all I got on, on the thrillers. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a, that's a good case. I think you're exactly right. This is definitely thriller territory. And like the little errands and missions that they go on, it results in a lot of different locations, which gives the yeah. movie a very different feel, as I said before. Yeah, I know. I mean, uh, case in point, I think, is that scene where they're at the... Um, at the police station and like she's like having to identify evidence and like uh, lead them on like a uh, like solve a murder mystery or something that that's that, f- that felt like that that's not like conjuring at all right yeah no it's not yeah you know it would be a good idea for a sequel for this movie that totally would go against everything the conjuring movies stand for <laughs> let's hear it father castner at some point when he's explaining that it's his daughter doing all this he says something to the effect of like, "Be careful that your interests don't become your children's obsessions." Mm, yeah, it could be cool, <laughs> cool sequel to have the Warren's daughter become a villain. Yeah, that's that's what I thought because yeah, she's been this weird character that's been tagging along, and, and this is the first time someone's like giving them advice about a child. So yeah, well, I wonder if that's if they're setting that up. That would be pretty cool, actually. Yeah, I mean, the negligent parenting alone has got to be a good impetus for her to get into some bad shit. Yeah, agreed, agreed. I feel like that would make a good, like, conjuring fan film. Oh, you don't think that'd be, like, a great way to end the series? Like, <laughs> she be- she's become, like, something and, like, she murders them? I would actually love it, but they just they just wouldn't do it. No, no. Yeah, they, they love Ed and Lorraine too much. Did you feel like this movie, like, I was trying to walk through the plot again in my head and everything, and it's harder now when a movie's in theaters, because uh, you can't take notes while you're watching yeah that's true but I've like if I go back to A Quiet Place 2 in my mind I can remember all the beats of the plot but this one was Mm -hmm. kind of surprisingly forgettable to me what did you think yeah I think you're right I I think it has to do with like the flow of it it just kind of felt like it moved in random directions at different times Uh, pacing was was an issue Um, and yeah you had kind of like a scattered narrative between what was going down at the jail and then what these guys were doing in different towns solving different murders that weren't connected to this one yeah. So, yeah, there, there, there was, like, a lot of weird, like, odds and ends going on. Yeah, very few scenes had a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was just a little bit of new information coming along at a steady clip, which is <laughs> the structure of a thriller, but uh, there's no reason they can't make it more uh, dramatic or make the stakes higher. I think yeah. the stakes got higher for me once we learned that Ed was the third mark. Oh, yeah, then then you actually like thought, oh, he like he's, his life's actually at risk. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I I don't know because even like when he is at risk and like he's down in there in there and he's like trying to attack Lorraine, the biggest uh, thing he comes out with is like I think he almost has like another heart attack, and luckily she's got him and and his pills and his in her locket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's kind of like how it ends, or towards the ending, he's he's having another spell like he did earlier in the movie because he forgot his pills and she's. Luckily, yeah. stashed one in her locket. Yeah, right. Someone, when that happened, someone in my theater shouted, "Now that's a wife!" 
Oh my god! <laughs> Holy shit! Man. Yeah, I think it was a woman that shouted it. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's better. Um, um, yeah, but but the, the whole movie just feels like uh, it was. It starts off with like a uh, this guy having a heart attack, and then the whole movie just kind of te- the tense uh, intensity is building up because you think he's going to have another heart attack, and then at the end he doesn't, and then that's like the narrative of the that's like the plot line for the whole movie you know we've talked about how like the the gender roles between like ed and lorraine warren and they kind of have developed a little bit as the movie like i felt like the first movie was ed with a lot of like dude swagger oh yeah yeah and he still had it in the second one but we know in the second one that he's the one who's going to be in physical danger and lorraine is the one who's gonna have to save him yeah So Lorraine is kind of moving to the star of this franchise as it goes, I think, because she's really the star in this one. Like, she's the one who's the mover and the shaker. Ed is physically weak and struggling throughout the film. Yeah, I was wondering what what his value, like what value he was bringing to the table in this one. Because she's, yeah, she's the one like solving most of the mystery here. Yeah, yeah, I feel like they've always been kind of a fairly 50-50 team. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, the first one started with Ed a bit more in the driver's seat and now... Now Lorraine's in the driver's seat for this one. Yeah, yeah. He does, he is the one that smashes the table though at the end. That's true. Yeah, yeah. You need that, that upper body strength. (laughs) No offense to Vera. I don't know, because she's like trying to push push it the whole time then he comes along with like a sledgehammer or something. Yeah, yep. And and that does it. So I, yeah. But but you might be right. I I think like in terms of the storylines, I think she got more time on, on this film. Yeah. Uh, another thing about gender is uh, we get like a strong, handsome, young, masculine man being the core victim of the possession in Arnie, which we, oh. typically that's kind of reserved for young women or children in possession movies. That's true. That's true. At least this kind of possession movie. If, if Normally, if a man is possessed, you, it's he's possessed to commit acts of violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, right. Uh, which, which he does. This- he, he murders a guy, but a good chunk of yeah. his screen time is kind of cowering in fear in the jail and and trying right. not to kill himself yeah that's a good point yeah i can't think of too many other uh, similar examples uh conjuring 2 was uh, a young girl right yeah conjuring 1 was the mother yeah mm-hmm. uh what else man are you ready for for a rating scale uh i think so yeah i think i hit all my notes all right uh zero to five large naked corpses sprinting in your general direction <laughs> Uh, I think I, I would go with two and a half uh, large uh, males uh, sprinting towards me, uh, just because yeah, it's, it's watchable and uh, cool to you know have uh, that level of suspense to not know who did it. But yeah, I wasn't really bought into any of the characters, and then the scares were missing, so that was disappointing. Yeah. Uh, what about you? I agree with all that. Um, I am going to go ahead and give it a three. Ooh! Wow. Which nice. is lower than the other ones, but I, I did still like it. I After three of these movies, I can't help myself but to be invested in their silly romance. Ed, um, Ed and Lorraine, you, you buy into that? I, I do. I, I buy into it from, <laughs> uh, you know, as a viewer watching two characters that I've grown to love in a weird way. Like, yeah. they're ridiculous and silly, but... I, I've become quite attached to them over the course of these three movies. And I did think it was a strength of this movie that it focused, I don't know, a strength and a weakness that it focused more on them. Sure. sure. And their relationship. 
Yeah, I you know I I would welcome a, a movie that was like all about them uh, and, and dived into them a bit more, gave them a lot more character and, and their relationship uh, more. But I just feel like the little that we do know and the time they do have, they just like seem so generic. Like oh, we met in the fifties at a movie theater, uh, and like I mean, it's just like I don't know. There's there's like any real character there. Yeah, I hear that. They're pretty they're pretty cut and dry. Yeah. Besides yeah. from the fact that they're demonologists and one of them's basically a superhero. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, you think that'd come up as part of their backstory at some point. <laughs> um so yeah, I gave it a three because I, I do I liked that it felt a little more focused, even if that meant kind of not giving this other plot enough attention. Um and I think the climax kind of saved it. Like the third act was pretty fun to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Facing off with a human isn't as scary, but I liked her as a baddie, like I said. And I, sure. the reveal was fun to me. Yeah, the reveal was cool. Yeah. I didn't see it coming. And uh, yeah, the way she like kills her father, like that was cool. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty brutal. You think she was staying with him? Um, I don't know. Yeah, how much was she relying on him? I'm, she probably didn't yeah. have a job, right? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see uh, the employment being very easy at that point. <laughs> so yeah, I, I wasn't sure what the situation was like, cause uh, she's basically working out of his basement. Uh, she's so I, I, yeah, he was like, oh, I haven't seen her in, in a long time or something. Or I, I didn't, I didn't understand entirely what the relationship was. Yeah, I mean, to what extent was he aiding and abetting her? Did he know the entire time this is her? I, I know exactly what she's doing, or was he like, well? Probably to have a general idea who this is, but I haven't seen her in a while. I don't know. Yeah, but the whole I haven't seen her in a while, like the door to her base, like the 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 layers, like right in your office, basically. Right. Yeah. So I, I yeah, I, that part kind of confused me. Yeah, that was a bit confusing. Her whole her whole thing, her whole shtick was a bit unexplained. Yeah, but a cool appearance and yeah. good acting. Yeah. All right, man. Anything else? Nah, that's all I got. Cool. Well, that is all for this episode, folks. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find our show, and we really appreciate it. Those have been coming in nicely lately, so thank you so much to everybody who clicked on those stars and gave us a rating or who took the time to write a review. Uh, Our logo is done by Amy Mae Popart. You can find her at Etsy.com. Search Amy Mae Popart, all one word, and you can also find on her Etsy page a set of five coasters one of which bears our logo the other four are pop art versions of some of our favorite horror characters you can buy that coaster set enter the discount code movie club in all caps to get a 20 percent discount i think it is and check out what else she has in her store she has great horror art that that movie code movie club code will work on anything in her store uh if you want to connect with us you can go to horrormovieclub.com Click on the social links, follow us on Facebook or Twitter. That's where we announce what we're going to cover next week. You can also click on the Discord link and you will join our Discord server where we're chatting up with a lot of people who are listeners and movie fans and friends and it's a great community if you are a horror fan who's looking to talk to people about horror. Uh, Great conversations go in there all the time. What else? What have I missed? We try to put out about an episode a month on our patreon page so you can find that at patreon.com slash horror movie club sign up for a buck a month and you can gain access to all those bonus episodes and support the show we really appreciate that 
And I think until next time, if you are ever convicted of a crime, even minor, just uh, throw out the whole demonic possession thing and see what happens. <laughs> you can't go wrong. <laughs> You'll probably at least get a reduced sentence. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe you'll get your own cell at least. I maybe uh, no one wants liking out with you or something. Maybe you'll get to meet a demonologist who will come find you and fuck their noses into your business. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah.